Welcome to Harvest. We're so glad you're here worshiping with us today on our ministry year kickoff Sunday. Uh, so we got a whole bunch of new stuff kicking off today we're going to get you plugged into and aware of this morning. And that's going to start with our brand new sermon series in the book of Acts, if you haven't figured that out yet. Uh, so grab your Bibles and go ahead and turn to the book of Acts. This is uh, just a couple books into the New Testament, if you're looking for that. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, there's a hardback black one somewhere there on the floor around you underneath the chairs. You can grab one of those and use one of those. We'd love for you to do that as well. Um, so as I was kind of getting ready for today, I, I, I know many of you, if you've been with us for any length of time, you probably already know this, but... Um, I'm not really much of a car guy. Like, that's not my big thing. Um, I can pretty much change a tire. I can jumpstart a battery. I'm out. Like, that's about where I'm at. Um, actually, just this past year, one of the guys in our small group did teach me how to change my oil. Um, and so now, at age 38, I can finally change my own oil, if that tells you anything about uh, my ability with cars. But um, so uh, the van that we had previous to this van that we have now um, we had this one tire on the van that was constantly getting low. Like it just over and over again. Every time I fill it up, it would get low again. And Courtney was always on me like, the, the tire's low again. You need to fix it. I'm like, does it still roll? All right, then we're good. Like it's okay. Um, but come to find out, like there's actually an issue. Uh, it's actually not good when your tires get low. And so I don't know if you know this, but um, one issue with a, well, if you have a tire that's low compared to the other ones is it actually damages your gas mileage. And you start losing gas mileage, which means you start losing Money, which is what's really important to me. And so, um, you know, it, it impedes your effectiveness as you're driving. Second thing that can happen, this I didn't know, um, if you're driving on a low tire for too long, it, the, the tire's not made for that, and so it heats up the rubber more than it should, and it can lead to a quicker blowout on the highway or whatever, which completely derails your journey and your mission and the whole thing. Over the last year here at Harvest, myself and the elders have been talking and praying and we've come to understand that we think here at Harvest we have a low tire. Let me explain what I mean by that. We have four pillars that are kind of the foundation of our church. Let's just do a little pop quiz this morning. Who can help me out with the four pillars of Harvest? This is the foundation of our ministry. Anybody got one? Unashamed adoration, our worship pillar. Number two, we got another one? Unceasing prayer. One more? Unapologetic preaching. And the fourth one? Unafraid witness. All right? Three of those are nailing pretty good. Not perfect. Okay, we got a lot of, we can always get better. But three of those are pretty in a pretty healthy spot. One of them is a little low. It needs to be pumped back up again so that we're driving at full effectiveness for the Lord and we don't end up blowing out along the journey somewhere as a church. And that's that last one. Unafraid witness. We feel like this is an area that we need to grow as a church, that we need to work on. So this year, that's going to be our focus for the whole year. New year, new focus in the book of Acts, big God, bold witness. And we're going to be using God's word to encourage our hearts and to strengthen our hearts so that we have a passion and a fire and a desire to go out and be bolder witnesses for Jesus. Now, I can tell by um, the lack of enthusiasm in your eyes, um, this is something that makes us a little uncomfortable sometimes. Because we're not all really, you know, uh, confident in sharing our faith. Uh, sometimes we feel like we're going to get ostracized. Sometimes we're going to get, uh, you're going you're gonna to make enemies or it's going to cause problems for you. And I'm just going to be real honest with you this morning. All of that's kind of true. And so this year 
is going to be challenging for us. But if you will push in, I can promise you it will also be exhilarating for your faith. It's going to be hard at times, but it's going to be life-giving at the same moment. It's going to be scary, but it's also going to be strengthening. Because this is what the Lord has called us to. And when we stop short of it, we are not walking in the full power of what he has for us as believers in Christ. So, before we can jump into the doing part of being a bold witness, we need to start where Jesus starts, which is not us going out and doing anything. It's him coming and doing something in us. So that our hearts are there before our hands get to work. So here's what you're going to see in this first chapter of Acts today. Jesus continuously works through the Holy Spirit to make me a bold witness for his mission. Jesus continuously works through the Holy Spirit to make me a bold witness for his mission. Let me show you that in the text today. We're starting Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Pause. All right, so we got to just unpack. That's kind of like the intro statement to the whole book. So let's unpack that for a second. Here's your first main point today on your outline. Believe in the person of Jesus. You can't witness about somebody that you don't believe in, all right? It all starts with believing in and understanding who Jesus is. So the first sentence of Acts introduces the author. He says, I, right, have written this to Theophilus and so on. So who is the I? Who's the author of the book of Acts? It's actually a guy named Luke, who consequently also wrote the gospel of Luke, okay? So in the, in the New Testament, we have four gospels, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. He wrote Luke, and he also wrote Acts, okay? Well, a couple things we find out about Luke is he was a friend or colleague of the Apostle Paul. So if you look at some of Paul's letters, like Colossians, Colossians 2 Timothy, Philemon, Luke is mentioned as part of Paul's like inner circle of guys who are going with him and doing ministry in all these different cities, okay? So he's a close colleague of Paul, and we also know that he was the author of Acts because later on when we get into Acts, in like chapter 16 and so forth, past that, the, the language changes from an outside narrator who's telling the story to now it uses what we call the we language, and he starts referring to himself in the, in the story because he is now joined up with this team of Paul, and he's walking with him, and so that points us to Luke as being the primary author here. A couple other things about Luke. We find out from Colossians 4.14 that he's a physician, all right? He was a doctor, Dr. Luke, and um, he was in, which meant he had to be pretty intelligent, pretty well educated uh, in those days to be a doctor, to be a physician. He would have had a, a naturally scientific and logical type of thinking and brain. And you're going to see that in some of his writing and the way that he describes things in the book of Acts. And Luke was also not only a physician, he was a historian. Back in Luke chapter 1, the first book he wrote, we find out that he was actually not an eyewitness of Jesus himself. All right, so he wasn't in the, the 12 disciples. He didn't see Jesus. He, did, he wasn't at the crucifixion. But he did go around and he researched and he interviewed and he compiled a historical record of what happened from all the other witnesses. All right? So Luke was a very strong, credible historian as well. So it says here that I, Luke, am writing to Theophilus. All right? You see his name there in the book? That's a guy's name. Um, we're going to call him Theo All right? because Theophilus is a little... You know, whatever. So Theo here, Luke is writing to Theo. This is the audience. This is the guy that he is trying to um, tell about the story of Jesus and the story of the early church. 
If you look back in Luke chapter one, he mentions him as well, but he calls him the most excellent Theophilus, okay? So Theo here evidently was a special guy. Right, he probably had like some high social standing or position, or maybe he was highly educated, or, or he had something about him gave him a special nuance compared to others. He's most excellent, Theo. And so um, he was probably also the guy who hired Luke to write the books. He probably kind of underwrote and, and paid him to do the research and do all the stuff so that he could compile these accounts for us. So Luke here is writing to Theo, and he references back to the first book which I've already kind of told you about, that's the gospel of Luke, all right? And, and we know that it's the, the, these two works, when they were first written, were actually written as one work in two parts, okay? In our Bibles, they're separated by the gospel of John, right? You have Luke, John, Acts. But that's only because when they started compiling all the books, into the letters and stuff into the Bible, they wanted to put all four gospels together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So you have like this whole, all of Jesus' life, like kind of like right there together, which ended up then separating the books of Luke and Acts. But Luke never really intended it to be read that way. Luke meant for it to be read as like one long, continuous story in two parts. Right? And we see that here in the opening of Acts when he describes this. He says, Luke, uh, book number one was all, that, all about what Jesus began to do and teach. Look at that word there, began, in that verse one. All Jesus began to do and teach. So the, the gospel of Luke, in fact, all four gospels, are the story, the account of Jesus' earthly ministry when he was physically walking on the earth, all that he began to do and teach. Acts is going to pick up from the point where he stops walking on the earth and he ascends into heaven and then go forward from there. Look at verse 2 in Acts there. He, He picks up right there. Until the day he was taken up. That's the ascension when Jesus rose up into heaven after he had resurrected. He says, until the day he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit, to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So there's this time period in, in between his ascension and his resurrection. And Paul, or Luke rather says, he presented himself alive, resurrected from dead, after his suffering. The suffering was his death on the cross. And so he's kind of giving a little shorthand account here of the gospel, right? Here, if you're new to Harvest, if, you know, maybe you haven't heard this before, if you've been here for any length of time, you've probably heard it almost every Sunday. But this is what we believe is the root of the whole story of Jesus, that we as humans are broken. Have you felt that? Have you felt the brokenness in our world? Like, it, it kind of pushes in on us every day, doesn't it? We're broken, we're, we're sinful, we... And we can't seem to fix it. We've tried 10 million different things to try to make ourselves feel better and to fix this brokenness in our hearts, and we just can't seem to do it. And God knew that. He knew that our sin separates us from him and that we couldn't fix it. And so he chose to send his own son, Jesus, to come to live a human life, a perfect and sinless human life, something that we can't do. And then he went to the cross and he died a sinner's death. Not for his sin. He died for our sin. He died and took the guilt and the shame and the punishment for our sin upon himself. And then he went into the grave and three days later he rose back to life to show that he was God, to prove that he had beaten sin, he had beaten death, and to offer all of us forgiveness for our sins and new life in his kingdom. 
That's the heart of the gospel. That's what Luke is referencing here. And he says, after his resurrection, he said, by many proofs, he showed himself to them over 40 days. 40 days. That's no short time, right? Like, we're talking over a month here. He's walking around the earth. This wasn't a, a, a shot in the dark, a, a flash in the pan. Like, one person saw him and, like, oh, you didn't really see him. You just ate too much pizza last night, dude. Like, that was not, like, he was walking around for 40 days, and he had 10 different appearances, at least, that are documented, to over 500 people. That's more than enough witnesses to say, yes, this really happened. So he's walking around for four days, giving evidence of his resurrection, and it says here, giving final instructions to his disciples. If you've ever read the Gospels, you've, you've probably seen that the disciples were kind of boneheads at times. Like, he had been teaching them for three straight years, like, all this stuff about the kingdom, and they never really quite got it. But there's something about when you come back from the dead, people start listening better to you. Have you noticed that? Like, that's, you kind of pay more attention when somebody's like, that's why these guys can sell all these books, claiming that they came back from the dead, right? Because people want to hear from you when you came back from the dead. And so, now he is teaching them once again, it says here, he's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. That's not a new teaching. That's the same message he was preaching to them for three years. Repent of your sin, believe in me, and you will be part of the kingdom of God. That's still the same message he's preaching to us today through his word. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, and you will be given eternal life in the kingdom. It's available to you today, just like it was available to them. So Jesus is teaching them this, and, and this is kind of where he intros the book of Acts. Now, if you look at your Bibles again, look at the very first page of Acts. You probably have Acts in like big letters as the name of the book, right? And then right underneath that, maybe in littler letters, it probably says something like, of the apostles. Do you have that? So the full name of the book is actually the Acts of the Apostles. We just kind of shorten it a lot. Some theologians have argued that it should actually be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit, which I think is actually a pretty good idea because although the book has a lot of the apostles showing up in it and doing a lot of things, what we actually see is the primary player, the primary actor throughout the book of Acts is not a human. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working through humans, working through the apostles. In fact, look at verse 2 in your Bible right there. It says that Jesus was even teaching them through who? The Holy Spirit. All right, now if you have your own Bible, I'm going to challenge you to do something here. I don't know if you've ever written in your Bible before. If you haven't, God's okay with it, all right? Like it's not desecrating anything. Like he's cool with you writing in the Bible. It helps us study. I want to challenge you as we study this book throughout this next year, try to circle every instance that you see the Holy Spirit. Everywhere you see Holy Spirit, circle that. Start with verse 2. Circle that in your Bible, all right? I'll give you a little hint. There's going to be three of them today, okay? So you can kind of be on the lookout, all right? But he shows up a lot in the book of Acts. In fact, 59 times the Holy Spirit shows up in the book of Acts. Right? That's more than twice per chapter. He is the primary actor. He's the primary player here. And we want to be dialed in on how does that impact what we do as followers of Jesus Christ. The other thing I want you to see is, I mentioned this earlier, he says that the first book, he says, was all that Jesus began to do and teach. That word began implies something, right? That if it started in the first book, what's it gonna do in the second book? It's gonna keep going, right? It's not done yet. He's gonna continue to work. Jesus, if I could, if I could put a, a, so if Luke is, the book of Luke is all that he began to do and teach, Acts is all that he continues to do and teach, right? That's where we're going 
in the book of Acts, and he does that through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like we just said, he's going to ascend into heaven. He's not going to be here physically anymore, but he's still active. He's still working. He's still teaching through the Spirit. Let me show you that in a couple verses here. So we find out later in the book of Acts in chapter 16 that the Holy Spirit is actually the Spirit of Jesus on the earth after he's ascended. Look at this on the screen. Acts 16, verse 6 and 7 says this. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit, there he is, to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. You see what Luke is doing there? He's using two different phrases for the same person. Holy Spirit and Spirit of Jesus. Man, that rocked my world when I saw that. I've been in church a long time. I grew up in the church. I've been studying the Bible. To connect the idea that the Holy Spirit isn't just another member of the Trinity, although he is that. He is the embodiment of the Spirit of the living Jesus in us. Leading us. Guiding us. Strength, like we have Jesus in us. In the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's whole job is to glorify Jesus by doing Jesus' work in and through his people. This comes to us from Jesus in John 16. Jesus told the disciples this before he ever left. In John 16, verse 13, he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Here it is, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine, my spirit, and declare it to you. The Holy Spirit is so powerful and is so important for our walk with Christ. And oftentimes I don't think we really get connected to that and understand that, embrace that as we should. How many of you have ever been to Washington, D.C.? Show of hands? Okay, cool. So if you're driving into Washington, D.C. at night... And as you're coming into the city, one of the things you're going to see is you're going to see this giant, shining, ivory needle, right? The Washington Monument. And it's this beautiful white needle against this dark night sky, and it's all illuminated. And it's illuminated by hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of lights to make it look like that. Yet, I doubt that you have ever noticed or even thought about all those lights, Right? When you look at that, you don't think about the lights. You think about the memorial. You think about George Washington. You think about because the lights are doing their job. The whole purpose of the lights is not to illuminate or bring attention to themselves. The whole point of the lights is to illuminate and bring attention to the memorial. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's whole job is to take attention off of himself and to put our attention squarely on the Savior of the world. To point us to Jesus. To illuminate him and his work in our lives. J.I. Packer uh, is a theologian and he calls the work of the Holy Spirit a floodlight ministry. Quietly turning everyone's attention away from himself and to the Savior. This is why we need him, because he keeps our eyes, he keeps our hearts set on the person and work and sacrifice and resurrection of Jesus. 
And he continues to walk us through what Jesus is still doing today in our lives and in our world and in the church. And so if we're going to talk about bold witness, we have to start with the Holy Spirit. Bold witness starts when I believe in the person of Jesus. It starts with the Holy Spirit illuminating my heart and opening my eyes to the truth of the gospel where I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. And my faith is 100% founded on that reality. So first we have to believe in the person of Jesus. And then look at verse 4 in chapter 1 of Acts. He goes on. And while staying with them, that's Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Second point is this, receive the promise of Jesus. Receive the promise of Jesus. Verse 4 starts off, while he was staying with them. So some point during this 40 days... It says that he ordered them. Don't glance over that word. He ordered them. Notice here Jesus' authority in this moment. Again, when you come back from the dead, people start to listen to you. He has proven that he is who he said he was. He proven that he is God. When somebody tells you, hey, I'm going to die, but I'm coming back, and then they do it, you're like, okay, all right. And so now their disciples are finally have the correct view of who Jesus really is. Church, we need to have the correct view of who Jesus really is. He's the same eternal, resurrected, sovereign of the universe, God, now that he was then. And so often in our culture, we like to see Jesus as this loving, merciful friend who wants to make our life safe and happy and fun and, and good. And, and we lose the respect and the fear and the awe of Jesus' authority. Too many Christians today are following Jesus like he's some Santa Claus rather than the sovereign of the universe. And if that's your picture of Jesus, you will not listen or obey anything he says. Because his only job is to make your life better. We have to get our eyes fixed on the reality of who he is. So that we can bow and honor and obey when Jesus orders us to do something. He orders them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait. In other words, don't run out and do the mission yet. All right? We're going to get to the mission, but not yet. You need to wait. And if I was one of the disciples, I'm just going to be honest with you, my personality, I'm like, if I was in that room, like, Jesus, you just told me you're the Messiah. All these people are going to hell. We got to reach all the nations. We got work to do, man. Like, we need to get on this. What are you talking about waiting for? He says, you need to wait because you're not ready yet. First, you have to have the promise of God, the promise of Jesus, the promise of John the Baptist, that all these guys have said, you're going to get this one day, and that is the promised Holy Spirit. He says, don't leave. 
Don't leave until this happens. Because here's what we have to understand, church, and I think we've lost this in a lot of the North American church today. The Holy Spirit is mandatory for the mission. We can't do it without him. Everything we try to do for Jesus without the Holy Spirit will fail miserably. It has to be rooted and connected in him. I need him. You need him to do this. The mission is more about Jesus working through me than me working for him. We get that backwards a lot, right? We're, we're on fire and we're, we're going to go do this for Jesus. We're going to do that for Jesus. And we're going to do this ministry and that ministry. And we're, gonna, and we're just going to, you know, storm hell with a water pistol, all right? But we're like ready to go. But we get out in front of him and we're not letting him work through us. We're thinking that we can do it on our own. And it doesn't work that way. We have to have the Holy Spirit. How many of you, um, how many of you have a microwave in your kitchen? Anybody got a microwave? Anybody got one of this? How many of you, the microwave is the most used appliance in your kitchen and without it you would probably starve? Okay. All right, just checking. So, um, so we, we, I don't know how people live without these inventions, you know, back then. Like, we use ours all the time for leftovers and all this kind of stuff. And did you know, let me back up, let me ask you this question. If you wanted to stop the microwave before the timer was up, what do you do? You just open the door, right? That, that's, what, that's what you do. Evidently, that's not the proper usage protocol for the microwave. I don't know if you know this or not. Uh, we've learned this this last summer. Uh, we were using the microwave one day, and I wanted to stop before the timer went off, so I grabbed the door, and I open it, and it just shuts off. Like, the whole thing just shuts down. And I'm like, did we just lose power? Like, what just happened? And so I'm looking around, like, all the other appliances are still on. I'm like, what's going on? So we go down. It actually had blown the breaker in the fuse box when, from opening the microwave. Evidently, uh, there's a little switch inside the microwave that when you open the door, if you do that too often, eventually the switch goes bad and it causes power surges and blows your breaker on your microwave. And so now we have a little post-it note on our microwave that says, do not open the door. Thank you. I don't think it says thank you. I think it just has an exclamation point. But don't open the door. And so we've stopped doing that except for sometimes I still do that. Right, because like it's like 20 years of this is how you stop the microwave, and that just kind of happens. And you have to go down the basement and turn the breaker back on because once you open it, there's no more power. And guess what? The microwave does not work without power. That's the church. The church does not work without the power of the Holy Spirit. We can do a lot of things. We can keep ourselves busy. We can run programs until the cows come home, but it won't produce anything for the kingdom if it's not grounded and rooted in the power of the Holy Spirit. We have to get back to this. We have to get plugged back in to what he is doing. Jesus doesn't call us to go save the world for him. He calls us to follow him as he saves the world through us. It's his power. Bold witness fails without the promised spirit of Jesus. It fails. 
Maybe you've even had that experience where you like, were trying to share the gospel with somebody and you were trying desperately, man, but you, it did not go well. And it's because you look back and you're like, man, I was trying to do that all on me. It was all on my shoulders. We've got to have, we've got to be tied in, connected to, following the power of the Spirit if it's going to work. So we've got to believe in the person of Jesus. We've got to um, receive the promise of Jesus, the promise of the Spirit. And then lastly, look at verse 6. It says, so when they had come together, the disciples, they asked him, Jesus, said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here's the third and final point today. Witness in the power of Jesus. If we're going to be bold witnesses for, for God, we have to do it in the power of Jesus. So in the middle of that section that I just read, look at verse 8. Everybody in your Bibles, look at verse 8. This is the thesis of the book of Acts. All right? Luke doesn't tell us that, but as you study the book, you're going to see that this sentence right here is the thesis for the whole book. All right? And if I was to summarize that thesis statement in, in, in verse 8, I would say something like this. God's power plus my witness equals mission success. That's what Jesus is telling us in that thesis statement. God's power plus my witness equals mission success. So let me break that apart for you and show you. He starts off and he says, the first part is this, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of God, the power of Jesus, the power of his resurrection. You have to have this. This is the secret to success. And what's interesting to me is Jesus actually talked about this even before his death. In John 6, verse 7, look at this verse here on the screen. Nevertheless, he says, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Look at that. Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I leave. Has anybody ever thought that when you're going through this whole Christian life thing and you're trying to follow God, that, man, it would be so much better if, like, Jesus was, like, right here with me. Like, I could sit down over coffee and Jesus could tell me things and we could have a conversation and he could, like, you know, correct me when I'm wrong. Like, if I just had Jesus with me, like the disciples had Jesus, man, I would be killing it. Anybody ever had that thought before? Right here, Jesus says, no, no, no. It's better that I'm not here because then I can send you the Holy Spirit. This is what he says, literally. He says, the spirit inside you is better than Jesus beside you. Think about that for a minute. Jesus just said, it's better to have the Holy Spirit inside of you than it is to have him in the flesh beside you in the moment. If he's here in human form, he can only be with us whenever he's with me. And then when he wants to go be with Jason, he's with Jason and he wouldn't be with me anymore. Right? So if he's at my house for dinner, he can't be at your house for dinner, and that creates a problem. With the Holy Spirit, he's with all of us, all the time, 
working and teaching and moving and leading. We need to start thinking about it like that, church. Stop discounting what we have for something that we think is better because guess what? Our God knows what's better and he gave us what's better. We just need to press into that. He says, you need to receive the power of the Holy Spirit and then he says, go and be my witnesses. All right, that's our job. As Christians, every single one of us, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, this is your job assignment to be a witness, to be on mission with Jesus. A witness, by definition, is this. Someone who helps establish facts objectively through verifiable observation. So if you've been saved and transformed by the power of Jesus in your life, you need to be giving witness, you need to be giving testimony to this is who Jesus is, this is what he did for me, and here's how my life is different. We need to be sharing that. We need to be speaking that. We need to be showing that in everything that we're doing. That is our job. I've told you before, we love to watch cop shows. You guys have seen cop shows before, right, on TV? What good is a witness that refuses to testify in court? You know how they get scared sometimes? They're like, I, I saw it, but I'm not gonna, I, I can't testify because I might get you know, retribution or whatever. What good is a witness who refuses to testify? Zero. None, Right? The same is true for us. We are no good for the kingdom of God if we're not willing to witness and testify to what God has done. I'm not saying he doesn't love you. I'm not saying you don't have a relationship with him. I'm, not, I'm just saying for the good of the kingdom, for the good of the mission, if we are not witnesses, what good are we? He says, receive the power of the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses. Notice the order there, okay? Don't get the order messed up. Receive the Spirit, plug into the Spirit first, and then go be witnesses. And if you do it in that order, he guarantees here mission success. That you will take the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the end of the earth. Now, none of us live in Jerusalem, okay? Most of us have never even been to Jerusalem, okay? So you're like, how does that, I don't even know what that means, Mike, Jerusalem, Judea, I don't know any of those places, I can't go there, I can't do that. What are you talking about? Here's what he's doing. He's giving them concentric circles of geography, right? So Jerusalem was where they lived. It's where they were at right now. So for us, our Jerusalem is St. Louis, specifically South County, okay? Wherever you live, wherever you work, wherever you're going to school, that's your Jerusalem. That's where you're at right now. And so last week we talked about the, the Great Commission. Jesus said, go and make disciples, or literally, as you're going, whatever you're doing day to day, be sharing the gospel and making disciples. That's our charge. That's the Jerusalem part. So we're supposed to be sharing the gospel with everyone we come in contact with here in our city. We're also doing this through our small groups. Right? Once, if you're not in a small group, by the way, get in a small group. You need to do that. Another day. Um, in our small groups, once a quarter, we do community service projects where we go out and we share the love of Jesus with somebody who doesn't know him. Somebody who's not saved, who doesn't come to our church, who has no affiliation with God or Jesus or whatever. We're just, we just want to show them, hey, we love you, Jesus loves you, and hopefully at some point that will open their heart up to the gospel. Right? That's going to Jerusalem. That's Jerusalem. Judea was kind of the surrounding country or area, the nation, if you will. Um, and so for us, our Judea is the United States. It's the surrounding area of our city that we need to be continuing to take the gospel to. So how are we as a church pressing out past St. Louis to share the gospel? 
Well, some of you have heard this before. We are part of an organization called the Great Commission Collective. Right? This is a group of churches that comes together to pool resources so that we can train and equip and, and raise up and send out and resource church planters to plant churches all over the world, including the United States. Next month, we're actually going to be celebrating the launch of four new church plants that are part of our network of churches. Amen. And every month or every week or whatever, whenever you give your tithe or your offering to the church, a percentage of what you're giving is going to the GCC to help plant more churches. So you're a part of that work. You're sowing into church planting in that way. Third area is Samaria. Samaria, for the people Jesus is talking to here, is a cross-cultural experience. It was another region that was nearby them, but the people were completely different than them. Different race, different religion, uh, different culture, different ways of doing things. Like, they were just different, right? And they didn't get along too well. They didn't even really like them at all. And he said, you need to go to the people who aren't like you, right? How are we doing that as a church? Well, I think you probably are aware there's several areas, even in our own city, that are very different from one another. There are areas and neighborhoods and parts of the city that aren't like us in lots of ways, whether that be race, whether that be socioeconomic class, whether that be uh, culture, whether that be, should be gospel influence and in number of churches. Like, there's lots of things that are different. And so we're part of another group here in St. Louis called Plant Midwest. Plant Midwest is another group of churches in St. Louis that is working to plant more churches in some of those hard-to-reach neighborhoods in our city they either don't have the resources or don't have the gospel influence or just need somebody to come across the cultural boundaries and, and bring the gospel to them. And so we're sowing into that ministry and we're giving them part of uh, our offerings each month so that they can continue to plant more churches and, and resource guys and, and do this. Um, last year, when we went and uh, visited and worked with New Perfect Peace Church up in North County and helped them do some work on their building and, and get the get going up there for them. That was part of our association with Plant Midwest. Okay? Our Serve St. Louis days that we've done, where we're going into other neighborhoods and other cultures and doing this, it's the same thing. That's us reaching into Samaria, trying to continue to spread the gospel. Okay? And then he says, go to the ends of the earth. So that means like basically everywhere else. Okay? Like, so for us, that would be internationally. How are we taking the gospel outside of not just St. Louis and the United States, but into other countries, into other parts of the world? Again, as part of the Great Commission Collective, we are helping resource and plant and, and uh, aid other church planters all over the world. We have churches in Europe. We have churches in Africa. We have churches in the Caribbean. We are doing work all over the place. Okay? Secondly, right now, our church is personally working with a pastor in Honduras named Arturo Gomez and his wife, and they're working on trying to plant a church there, a harvest church uh, modeled after the same DNA that we're using. And um, in fact, just this next week on Tuesday, we are paying to fly him from Honduras to Mexico City, where he can be trained by another harvest pastor who has the DNA but speaks Spanish. So he can learn it in his native tongue and he can take it back and then grow, continue to grow up this core group that he's been working on, hopefully in the future to plant a church there in Honduras as well. And so we're sowing into that, okay? One thing that we're hoping to do in 2020, next summer, is to plan some type of short-term mission trip where a group of people from our church can go overseas into another country and actually serve and, and take the gospel. We don't know what that's going to look like yet. We don't have any details. We're still working on trying to figure all that out. But that's the goal. That's the plan. And so if you have a heart for that, we'd love for you to be a part of that trip. Okay? So these are all the different ways that we as a church 
are going after what God has told us to do here in Acts, in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But that's a really, really big mission. And it's far from done. And there's still lots of work to do. And so we need to grow as a church in getting more invested in and working at that mission. And that's what we're going to be working on this year. Now, I want to just kind of close with a couple things here in the end of the text. I think one of the things that, I think if, if, if any of us sat down and went over this, we'd be like, you know, do you, do, do you want to see more people get saved? Do you want to see the gospel go forward? Do you want, yeah, yeah, I want that. For sure I want that. But somehow we never quite get around to doing that. You know what I'm saying? Because I think oftentimes we are distracted in our witness. And I see three distractions here in the last part of this text that I think apply to us. And maybe this will help your heart figure out what is it that's keeping me from being more bold in my witness. Here's the first distraction. Distraction number one, stop guessing and start witnessing. So right here before Jesus ascends into heaven, the disciples are like, hey, Jesus, are you, are you going to bring the kingdom back now? Like, is this it? Like, right now, like, right, right here, are we going to see the kingdom come down? And are we going to be in charge? And are things going to go our way? And, and they're, they're asking, like, Jesus, when's it going to happen? And Jesus' response is, it's not for you to know. <laughs> None of your business. That's what he said, okay? It's not yours. It's not, this is of the, of the Father's authority, not yours. In other words, he, he doesn't rebuke them f- for asking about the kingdom. He's all about the kingdom. He's just correcting their view of it. He's saying, listen, stop worrying about when it's going to happen. Stop trying to guess when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And when's Jesus coming back? And man, we have so many Christians today that fall into this. They get so hung up on when's Jesus coming back, right? And, and they're, they're, are, are we in the last days? Are we not in the last days? Is this a headline a sign? Is that headline a sign? Is this happening over here? Did you guys see the story like a couple weeks ago or a month ago or whatever about the kid who was born in the Chick-fil-A? Like, born, like, gave birth in the Chick-fil-A, baby boy pops out. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but, like, I don't, I don't know how the Messiah is coming back, but I'm watching that kid, right? Because, like, anytime you're born in the Jesus chicken place, like, that's, there's something, there's something to that. But everybody's looking for all these signs. Like, when's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? Jesus never said, receive the Holy Spirit so you can make charts and graphs and timelines and write books and predict when I'm coming back. He never said that. He said, in the power of the Spirit, get to witnessing. Stop worrying and guessing and get to work until I return and encourage one another to do the same. So stop guessing. Number two, stop grinding and start witnessing. You see, God's plan is very clear. He says, receive the power of the Holy Spirit, start witnessing, and then rely on me to make it all work. But our... American U.S. brains don't work like that. Our brains say, oh, there's a mission? Great. Just do it. Get after it. Run hard. Work hard. Don't quit. Keep going. Grind it out. Just grind it. Just keep going, going, going. White knuckle that thing until you get it done. And that's not the way God works. You cannot change anyone's heart. And neither can I. We can't make it happen for them. Only the Spirit of God can do that. So we do our part, and then we let him do his part. God has been teaching me this personally big time over the last five years. This process of church planting 
When we were in core group and like we couldn't get over the hump and couldn't see him, like, and I was on my knees and just praying and crying out to God. I remember having a conversation one day with, with a friend of mine who's a pastor. I said, man, this is, this is the first thing I've ever done where I couldn't just work harder and make it happen. And he's like, yeah, because <laughs> you gotta rely on the Lord, man. Like this is the work of the Holy Spirit. You do your part and you let him do the rest. That's us in witnessing. We have to rely on his power to get it done. So stop guessing, stop grinding. Number three, stop gazing and start witnessing. So Jesus ascends up into heaven, right? And the disciples are all just standing there. And they're just kind of looking up into heaven like, Jesus, Jesus, you coming back? Like you've kind of gone and left and gone a couple times now. Like if we just stand here long enough, he'll like pop back down out of the clouds. Like, they're just sitting there waiting for him to like show up again. Like maybe he's going to get the rest of the angel army and we're going to do it right now. Like I don't know. Like they're just hanging. And so these angels show up and they're like, guys, what are you doing? Right? Like they, they say, why do you stand looking into heaven? Do you hear the gentle rebuke in that? Like, guys, he, get going. Like he gave you something to do. Like get moving now. Get, get to witnessing. Listen, Christian. Don't get caught just gazing off into life with Jesus. That's not what he's asking us to do. He's given us a mission. He's given us a job. We need to get after it. Too many Christians today are navel gazing and field grazing. It's all about me. It's all about what do I get out of it and how does this make my life better and feed me. And Jesus did not come to die and rise to call you to a self-centered, consumeristic, all-about-me type of kingdom. He calls us to a kingdom of self-sacrifice and serving and humility. And until we step into that kingdom, we will not be able to give bold witness according to the power of the Spirit. He said the fields are white for harvest. So stop feeding and serving yourself and get to harvesting. If you're here today and you're already a follower of Jesus Christ, the really great part about this whole story is you don't have to wait. He told the the disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Christ, you've already got the Holy Spirit. So we're like, I don't think I do. Well, we need to work on that then. All right, let's, let's talk about that and let's figure that thing out. Because if you are a follower of Jesus, you have it. And so our job is now to get to doing what he's called us to do. Jesus commands us. He orders us to be witnesses. It's not a suggestion. This is what he's called us to do. Not by our power, by his power, but he still calls us to move in the power of the Spirit. And if we do that, the great news is we cannot fail. You don't have anything else in your life where you are guaranteed victory. But Jesus does right here if we will do it in the power of the Spirit. Bold witness requires a reliance on the power of the Spirit. If we're going to do this, if we're going to grow to be bold witnesses this year through the book of Acts, it has to start right here. A reliance on the Holy Spirit. I said this at the beginning, Jesus continuously works through the Holy Spirit to make me a bold witness for his mission. That's what it looks like. That's what he's doing. 
It's what he did in Acts. It's what he's still doing in us. And so here's what we're going to do, Harvest. Over the coming year, right, for the next year, we're going to dig deep in the book of Acts. I don't think I said this earlier. It's going to take us the full year to go through the book of Acts, okay? So for this whole next year, we're digging deep into the book of Acts, and we're going to see how Jesus is continuing to work through his people to accomplish his mission. And then we're going to get in on that. And we're going to go out, and we're going to fulfill the king's command, and we're going to be witnesses to, to his kingdom. But that will only be effective if we get the first part right. Rooting our hearts in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to start working on that right now. I'm going to pray. And we're going to pray together. And we're just going to ask the Lord to just come and reconnect, to, to reignite the fire in our hearts of the power of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to sing and we're going to respond in the same way. And we're going to just ask the Lord to start today and reignite us as a church in the power of who he is. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, God, so much for, for what you're doing and how you're moving. Lord, that you haven't stopped, that you haven't given up on us, Lord God. You're still working today just like you were in Acts. Father, we thank you that once again, that you saved us from sin, that you saved us from hell, that your son's perfect life and death and resurrection paid the price for us. And we believe and we confess that today, that your spirit is living in all of us who believe in Jesus. And we ask that right now you would help us to submit to him, to rely on him, to be filled with the power of the spirit. Lord, we hear and we receive your command to be witnesses for your kingdom. Lord, that is our desire. We want to do just that. But we need you. We need your power. Lord, fill us now. Empower us. Move us out on mission with you. We pray all this in the wonderful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ.